The following podcast is brought to you by the Jonas Podcasting Network, found exclusively at wrestlingwithjonas.com. And welcome to the latest episode of Wrestling with Jonas Live, part of the Jonas Podcasting Network. And today, this is episode 222. Can you believe it? 222. Um, and yes, this is not the 2nd of February 2022, but uh, uh, episode 222. And today, I've got none other the man who's wrestled on seven continents at the same time and has been the Pan-Arabian champion for over 20 years, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the tales of this man are legendary and we'll be speaking to him about many of these over the course of this interview. Ladies and gentlemen, may I introduce to you Sunset Skip. So Skip, how are you doing? And thank you for coming on the show. Juicy Jonas, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. 222 shows and coincidentally... Oh. Sunset skipped through 222 dudes out of one ring in one night. So it's great that these numbers correlate just so well. Oh, indeed, indeed. And I'm, I'm thrilled to be speaking to you. This has been a long time in the making. The last time we saw one another uh, was back in November last year. You was involved in that huge six-man number one contenders match. I don't know if you remember it. I certainly do. Uh, you was in there with some big old dudes. Um, a hell of a match, hell of an occasion. Really, really hot crowd uh, yeah. in uh, the Venom nightclub in Westbury, which is my hometown. Uh, not, my, not my local nightclub, by the way. Uh, but certainly my hometown. <laughs> Um, but uh, give us give, think back to that night. Um, it was a hell of a night. The crowd were hot. A great occasion. A fantastic six man, which you were a part of. And we got to meet. Uh, and uh, you coined the nickname Juicy Johnners all in the same night. So uh, tell us about that night in November. Well, as you said, there was so much going on. So there was that wonderful six man uh, multi man match. And ordinarily, multi man matches just aren't my bag. But this one, everything just absolutely just clicked incredible opponents i got to step in the ring with uh jody Fleiss, somebody that i've admired for as long as i've wrestled still the best high flyer in the world as far as i'm concerned there was international talent from france uh with uh Kamux, i believe his name was and there was yeah. shane saber from canada and there's uh, a couple of other big dudes in there with me to slap big old me dudes. so it was it was very much a smorgasbord of wrestling so there was all sorts going on and then as you said juicy john as we coined that by uh when we did our backstage interview, it was straight after he said, Skip, let's, uh, let's talk. And I went, hold on a minute, John, let me get some water, have some water. And then we had a little uh, post-match debrief. Oh, we did. We did. It was uh, so much fun and great to see you in the flesh. Um, but uh, for anybody watching or listening at home, uh, watching us live on YouTube, on Facebook Live or Twitch, and you want to send us uh, your questions in for Sunset Skip, you can do. Uh, just enter your questions into your chosen device. They'll ping through to us and we'll do our best uh, to answer every single question live on air with the legendary Sunset Skip. But uh, Skip, I've got to ask you, uh, UBW, you had a couple of amazing matches walk for them uh, last year uh one of them was um you actually defended your pan-arabian championship against Absolutely. none other than rj singh uh, a, a title as i mentioned in the intro that you've held for over 20 years skip um tell us about that match because um it, it, it's a title that you still hold uh dear to your heart today i don't think you'll ever be beaten for it but a really tough not. match against not. rj singh a really tough match Absolutely. I mean, like I said, you can 
put RJ in that same category that I just said about Jody Fleisch. One of the best in the country, one of the best in Europe. RJ, what he doesn't know isn't worth knowing. I'm very fortunate enough to call RJ a good friend outside of the ring, but in the ring, truly one of the best opponents that you could step in the ring with. You know, he, as I've said, what he doesn't know isn't worth knowing. He's genuinely one of the absolute top, top guys in the country. And if you just look how busy he's going to be for 2022, it's great that he's finally getting his roses. So it's it was brilliant to step in the ring with RJ to put on an absolute killer match. You know, I'm, I'm quite critical about what I do. You know, it's I'll always look back and think, oh, you know, I could have performed a little better. This would have worked better. Or, But this match, everything went absolutely right. We had the crowd absolutely in the palm of our hands. So we killed it on the night. Yeah, and we spoke a little bit off air, Skip, and you mentioned mm. that you're currently out with an injury due to make your yeah. uh, expected return very, very soon. Uh, yeah, tell me a little bit about the injury. How did it occur? And how's the recovery going? So recovery's going really well. It's an uh, MCL uh, injury to my knee and Ooh. ankle ligament damage as well at the same time. It was, uh, I'd love to say it was caused by the opponent. I was uh, in a match with Hustle Malone. And unfortunately, midway through uh, executing a spinning powerbomb, dragged my foot behind me on the canvas and my body weight went one way, my knee went the other. Uh, so looking back, I saw the footage just a week or so back and I'm quite fortunate that it was just some kind of uh, light damage to the uh, MCL and um, ankle ligaments rather than it being a tear or a break because the way my leg just went boom looked uh, looked really bad. So uh, it's the recovery's coming along. I, initially, it was, I was told, six to eight weeks recovery. I'm now, what is it, about 10 weeks post-injury. So starting to kind of really get back into testing it. So uh, the first test's next weekend for United Wrestling in Oxford. So it'll be good to see just how uh, how ready I am. So, And I believe it might even be uh, for uh, some sort of contendership. I think it might be a number one contendership qualifiers match. So I'm excited for that. Oh, indeed, indeed. And uh, we, we spoke briefly about UBW and your match with mm. RJ Singh. And I think the, the match you alluded to there with Hustle Malone was possibly uh, UBW's last show of the year uh, in December 2021. Yeah. Um, but uh, you, you, you've had a, an amazing career with UBW, haven't you? They're kind of based in, in Bedfordshire. Um, and uh, you, you, you've been, I mean, you've been there since day one, uh, over nine yeah. years, coming up 10 years now. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe yeah. that you were there, your their very first British heavyweight champion. So tell us Absolutely. about your kind of relationship and your journey with UBW over the years and, and what they mean to you. They, they do mean a lot. It's always been kind of a home promotion. So to see it grow in positive ways, it means an awful lot. Uh, it actually grew from a training school that myself and crew set up. Uh, Cruz being one of my initial trainers back in the day. Uh, well, this vessel of Sunset Skip back in the day when Skip was in a previous life. And then uh, Cruz and I set up this school. We set up in Hertfordshire. And then uh, a year or so later, Ash came on board. And then around the same sort of time, uh, the management of UBW, um, Justin and a fellow named Rob, um, they decided they wanted to run a show. So they came to us with the idea, said, we want to do this. And the way they talked about it, we seemed okay. Seen and heard this all before, but they had so many great ideas. Uh, the first show happened. We had a wonderful tournament where there was myself taking on uh, the, the now uh, sadly retired, but he was an incredible uh, wrestler by the name of Ultra Mark Massa. Brilliant heavyweight, hard hitter. He would have absolutely kind of been tearing it up now should he have uh, continued. And Cruz took on Johnny Kidd in the semi final match. Cruz and I met in the finals. 
there's some nefarious deeds where I got uh, injured with a chair during the interval. And then we had the uh, final match to be crowned the first UVW champion. So looking back on that, and I think it was uh, November uh, just past was the eight or nine year anniversary for it, I think nine years. So to kind of look back on that memory, it was incredible. We had a sold out crowd for a first time promotion. And then UVW's kind of grown in, in many different ways since. Indeed, it has. And um, I've been learning more about UBW over the last couple of years and the more I've kind of interviewed stars from that promotion. Um, and, and it really does seem a great mix of excellent in-ring action, fantastic matches, um, great storylines as well. And, and, and something that's really struck me is amazing characters as well, some fantastic yeah. gimmicks, but amazing characters with the likes of yourself. Uh, Mr. Charles Crowley, Memes, Hustle Malone, Sassy Bear Clarence, who's been on the UBWC uh, of, of late. So, you know, it, it really does kind of have a perfect mix for wrestling mm. fans out there that, that want the action, that want the storylines, and those that enjoy the characters, doesn't it? Very much so. And I think that's the kind of the management of UBW, of Paul and Justin. They, they really are looking to have that perfect mix of, like you said, strong characters and strong in-ring action because that's that perfect mix is where the audience really kind of engage and start to kind of really build a fan base and they've done that very much so over the last three to four years uh certainly since i've been back in england they've really started to build a stronger fan base you know having regular venues and there's regular people coming to those venues and then those people come to the next venue in a new town and then that's how they've grown and it's really really worked well over the last few years it's been great to see that wonderful growth yeah, indeed. And like I say, just sticking with UBW uh, for a little bit longer, you, you helped uh, with the, the training facilities, was one of its kind of founding members, its first ever champion. But you, you've had a lot of success with UBW. We mentioned the first ever Absolutely. British heavyweight champion. Uh, 427 days, if I'm not mistaken, Skip. Uh, a hell that, of yeah. a reign. Is that correct? Absolutely. <laughs> and, I think uh, so, yeah. And, Three-time UBW was... Infinity champion as well. So uh, yes. that, that's a, a pretty decent run with the company and a, a lot of success there for yourself. Definitely. It's, it's been great to kind of have these incredible positions and, and do that. Also, uh, holding the Tag Team Championship, which I think, again, adding to the Sunset Skip record, I think I'm the shortest reigning Tag Team champion. Oh, well, I wasn't going to mention that, but... Uh... Well, <laughs> you've got to take the rough with the smooth. You know, if you win, you know that loss might come eventually. Exactly. So uh, I think it was a, a sub one hour uh, tag team championship reign. But, but it's still, still in the history books. No. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, it still counts. So uh, it's, um, you know, there's an asterisk next to it, but, you know, it still, still maintains the record. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I can't wait to take a, a deep dive into your career, the Sunset Skip character, some of your famous matches. But we've got to throw a quick plug to our sponsors, Skip. So uh, 1310 Apparel, who are the, the fantastic sponsors of not only this podcast, Wrestling with Jonas, but the Jonas Podcasting Network. And if you go over to their store at WrestleMerch Central, you can see their exclusive hardcore range of apparel there, their Lucha range of apparel and their more traditional 1310 and Four Corners apparel. They do sponsor, besides the Wrestling with Jonas podcast, uh, some well-known international wrestling talent such as Heidi Katrina, uh, Northwest Strong's Chris Ridgway. And if you go over to their WrestleMate Central store or their big cartel store, you can see the exclusive Heidi Katrina shirt there. Now, as a listen, listener or a viewer of the Wrestling with Jonas podcast, you can take advantage of our deal with 1310 Apparel uh, by going to their WrestleMate Central store at 1310.merch.global. That's their WrestleMate Central store. Just search 
approach 1310 uh, and uh, at discount, sorry, at checkout, use the discount code 1310WMC. That's 1310WMC to get yourself 10% off at checkout at their global store, Wrestle Merch Central. Um, take advantage of that offer now. Skip, it's back over to us. Um, so, so tell me a little bit about yourself and your wrestling fandom. So back when you was, obviously you're a big skip now, but when you was a little skip, uh, what was it about <laughs> pro wrestling that, that kind of drew you in, pulled you in as a fan and made you fall in love with this great sport? Well, one of my first vivid rem- memories, let's actually use words, big skipski, is uh, watching wrestling with my granddad. I must have been about nine, eight, nine years old and staying over uh, watching it with them. And I remember quite distinctly, it was Hercules beating some some jobber. And I thought, this is incredible. What is going on? This big dude's just wailing on this, this kind of skinny little fella. And I thought, okay, this is pretty cool. So I kind of got into wrestling huge as, you know, the time was that late 80s, early 90s period. Guys like Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, Sid Justice, Macho Man. And then what really kind of hooked me was around, I think it was 91, 92. I saw, I was at a friend's house and it was a WCW pay-per-view. It was Brian Pillman and Jushin Liger. I remember and it very just well. Blew, yeah, Super Brawl 92, if I remember rightly. Yeah. And it was yeah. this superhero in Liger taking on this, you know, absolute Adonis Brian Pillman doing stuff that I'd never seen. I've been watching wrestling for a couple of years up until that point. But just seeing the stuff they're doing was like, this isn't anything I've ever seen. Because WWE at the time was very much my sort of style, you know, kind of big lads mixing it up, kick punch and all that hard hitting stuff. And then this incredible cruiserweight stuff, which is still revolutionary 30 years later, blew my mind and I was hooked from then on in. So I think it was the mixture of the the pageantry and appearance of the character of, of Liger and even Pillman's appearance and, and pageantry and then the athleticism just hook line of thinker absolutely and, and how did your kind of wrestling fandom uh, evolve uh when did you kind of get into indie wrestling and uh what what eventually inspired you to want to become a wrestler yourself so i think i got back into uh an interest in indie wrestling in the in the late 90s i think around the time when mm. there was that kind of attitude era boom and the internet first started becoming a thing so i remember looking on wrestling message boards as they were at the time and then seeing about some of the top up and coming promotions, of course, ECW was very popular, had a huge online presence. Following that, I mean, this must be about 2000, there were uh, some of the, um, at the time they were viewed as kind of more outlaw companies like XPW and CZW, they were having a growing internet presence and then Ring of Honor around the same sort of time. So that early 2000s was when I really got into the indie wrestling boom. And I'd always harbored ideas of, of being a wrestler as a kid, you know, one of those pipe dreams I wanted to be um a transforming fire engine when i was five and i still kind of want to be a transforming fire engine to this <laughs> who day. wouldn't i mean but come on <laughs> absolutely absolutely you know and uh I, i'd always wanted to be a wrestler i thought you know what i was about 18 19 at the time I thought you know what let's let's have a look let's have a hunt around and after a bit of searching because it was a lot more closed back then you know nowadays it's very fortunate where probably each each county or every other county has got a training school within an hour to, to it but then I had to kind of research, find out where it was near me, uh, found the uh, closest training schools, and off I went. Am I right in thinking that you did some training fairly early on with drop kicks? Now they're Absolutely, a training school yeah. that have developed so many amazing uh, a talent from around the UK over the years. But uh, you, you was involved with that training school once upon a time. Definitely, that's that's certainly where I cut my teeth. Uh, drop kicks was the first place where I regularly attended. I kind of 
popped my head into and dipped my toe into a couple of other places beforehand, but drop kicks was the first place to really settled. And that was under the tutelage of uh, the, the recently um, departed late great Frank Reimer and Tony Scarlo as well, two you know, British style wrestlers from the world of sport era who were just absolutely wonderful technicians. And then representing the newer school guys, uh, the new breed, Ash Curve and Cruz, they were there an awful lot as well. So I had that great kind of mixture of, of learning from the classic British style and from modern guys who were very heavily influenced by that early 2000s indie uh, indie scene that was again was influenced by the kind of uh, uh, Japanese scene of the 90s. Indeed, it really was. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, this year marks your 20th year as a pro wrestler. Is that right, Skip? I believe so. Yes, I think uh, I think I started training September 2001, give or take, and then my first match, I believe, was November 2002. Yeah. Uh, that was where I was there. Uh, cannon fodder in a rumble so uh a very kind of uh very different kind of uh performance to how i was now i was just kind of a fairly sheepish looking lad in a black vest and shorts and a pair of crappy kick pads so uh yeah very well, take, different take us back to them early days and take us back to them early days because you know in, in, in a different life a different universe some might say an alternate reality you you, you know you were a, a, another larger than life personality weren't you as uh, rich and famous Absolutely. um it, tell us it. tell us about the first few years in the business center traveling the road learning the ropes as rich and famous um a, a lot of hard work i'm guessing but also an amazing experience uh, for you back in those days it definitely was. I mean, I was super lucky. I managed to get a regular gig on the holiday camps working with Johnny Kidd and Blondie Barrett, I think within maybe six months of working shows. So I would be kind of traveling with them to holiday camp shows, mainly with Johnny Kidd as he lived in the sort of local area to, to me. And that would be, I think, a weekly gig throughout summer, Easter holidays. So probably at least 10, 12 weeks of the year, I would be working regular matches with those guys, two matches a night to and, and the experience from there was unbelievable. So myself and another wrestler that came through drop kicks at the same time, uh, a guy by the name of Kid Regis was a great friend at the time. So he and I spent so much time under the learning tree of Blondie, Blondie and Johnny. It was it was unbelievable. It's an experience that you just you can't buy and you can't replicate unless you're in the ring night out night after night with people of that caliber. Yeah, yeah. And I was going to ask. I mean, like I say, doing double shots some days on the holiday camps, traveling from town to town um, or seaside resort to seaside resort, who knows? But uh, who were you kind of traveling the roads with? Who were the veterans that were kind of imparting their knowledge onto you um, and, uh, you know, showing you the ropes, giving you all these wonderful tips and uh, stories on how to become a pro wrestler? Again, when I first started, I was fortunate enough to travel with Johnny Kidd on a regular basis. We'd have a legendary a meeting point and we'd head off to the show. So it'd be myself, Kid Regis, and John Kidd would often be unbelievable. As good as he is in the ring, he's twice as good as a yeah. person. He's just an absolute one of a kind, one of a kind guy, one of a kind performer. So, and, and that was great to sit under that learning tree. But then after that, for years, I was very much a bit of a uh, solo wrestler. There weren't, at the time, there weren't too many Hertfordshire based wrestlers. Um, so over time, kind of, and wrestling Johnny Storm are relatively close. But at the time, there was very, very few uh, performers in my area. So for a long time, it would be me kind of driving to a meeting point and going on from there. Or I'd be kind of flying solo, which was kind of cool. So uh, I didn't mind it. But then a few years later, as the scene kind of expanded back in this sort of real time, now RJ Singh's a regular travel partner as well. So it's always been a kind of nice mix. 
Yeah, absolutely. Now we, we've got to talk about some of the, the legendary stories of Sunset Skip. First of all, yeah. as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, Skip, uh, you're the you're the pan-Arabian uh heavyweight champion of the world, no less. And you've held the championship for over 20 years. You've defended it all over the world, uh, seven continents all at the same time. How did you how did you come to uh, win the Pan-Arabian Championship? Uh, and tell us about the the long illustrious uh, reign of yours uh, to hold it for over twenty years. Well, the first uh, Pan-Arabian Championship tournament was a tournament that took place in Beirut, nineteen ninety four. It was a uh, grueling one hundred and twenty eight man single knockout single day tour uh, tournament. So to get through that field was unbelievable. You know, it was the very very best of all wrestlers who took part in the in the Middle East and uh, from kind of the closer regions. So to survive that grueling 128, I'm not selling it short, 128-man tournament was probably one of the biggest feats of my career. Oh, unbelievable, <laughs> unbelievable. And, and some more legends of Sunset Skip. Um, and I do mean kind of legendary tales. Uh, uh, you're the man that invented the Sunset Flip. Uh, you're the only pro Absolutely. wrestler to have been offered a presidency of the United States. Uh, you once wrestled a bear in Montana and reversed a bear hug into a Canadian destroyer for the win. And in 1982, no less, you defeated Nick Bockwinkle and Hulk Hogan in the very same match. Right. And you once powerbombed a skyscraper. Um, unbelievable feats. And uh, I don't know how one man can kind of do all them amazing things all in one lifetime, but you've, you've achieved it. There's still more Sunset Skip could do. I mean, with all of the kind of talk of sending manned missions to Mars, I would certainly be keen to be the first wrestler to perform on a different planet. I mean, having done seven continents in a day, what's another planet? I could even make another town on the way back through. So I'd be open for that. So Martian <laughs> promoters, if you're listening, I'm keen. Oh, 100%, 100%. Um... Let's have a look at some of your, your legendary opponents then. Certainly in your first uh, eight or so years then, Skip, um, you've got, from early, from your earlier work, you've, you've wrestled and been in the ring with the likes of Chris Travis, Johnny Storm. We've mentioned mm. Johnny Kidd. Uh, not to mention being in the ring and sharing the ring with ECW legends such as Tommy Dreamer, the Sandman in, in Battle Rules back in them early days. Uh, tell us about some of them, mm. uh, some of your memories of being in the ring with some of them amazing opponents then. It's, it's been great. And kind of thinking back to some of those memories is, is so good. I mean, uh, Chris Travis, who's no longer with us, um, we, as kind of happens with wrestling, we lost touch. But I remember we'd always kind of send a, a random message to each other as in the match we had. He moonsaulted and landed on my testicles. And uh, every so often it would just be moonsault to the ball. And we probably wouldn't talk for maybe two or three years at a time. And then just a random message, moonsault to the balls, and that would be it. So, um, and that, that, was, that was great. I mean, Chris was very much a kind of young, young wrestler at the time. I was very young into my career so it was kind of good and then to see how his career kind of skyrocketed and he's certainly somebody very very dearly missed by uh, a lot of his friends who were very very close to him so he's a you know wonderfully missed uh, performer um and then moving on to some of those you know uh, being in the, the ring with tommy dreamer um i looked up to him from when i was watching ecw as a, as a very young man as kind of like my late teenage years so to step into the ring i remember looking at tommy dreamer backstage and thinking bigger than i anticipated and i'm i'm not little i'm six foot three and i'm you know, a bit heavier than i used to be but at the time i was probably about six three two forty two fifty and tommy dreamer was probably about my sort of height maybe a touch smaller but just thick yeah thick built like huge chest huge it's deceiving arms, like, isn't it you can't always tell on the tv 
absolutely and also i mean you know that early 90s wrestling scene it was the land of the giants i mean i always remember talking with friends and saying the high boys were actually enormous dudes because they were viewed as being teeny weeny back in the early 2000s but they're both six foot plus they're both 220 pounds plus that's big human beings so it just shows what the land of the giants was so then standing next to someone the stature of dreamy like whoa you're you're huge and i remember thinking just how massive his arms were i was really impressed thinking I'm going to get arms that big. I'm going to get arms that big. And I didn't want to ask him, go, hey, tell me, how, how come your arms are so big? Because, you know, it's not, not what, you, what you want from uh, when you're the kind of the name. You don't want some 18-year-old coming up to you going, hey, your arms are really big. <laughs> I'm sure he would have given you an answer. I'm sure, yeah. I've met Tommy. He's all right. <laughs> you probably would. You seem like a really nice guy. So, I can't remember if it was Instagram or Twitter, um, I think about six, ten months ago, and I got a message from him and hey, was this a battle royal? Because there's a great picture of him uh, leg dropping, just a proper like chair, not a folding chair, just an actual like four-point chair with a plastic seat, leg dropping that on me, and I kind of tagged him in it, and I got a message off him saying, hey, was this this show in this place? I was like, whoa, that was unexpected, we had a little chat. So it's great for kind of him to remember it. He said he remembered the show well, remembered his score. And I was like, that's, that's really cool for somebody of his stature. Because, you know, not just what he's done in ring, but in terms of his behind the scenes work, for him to kind of message a little old. You've gone on record uh, to say that um, a lot of your your influences over the years have been the likes of uh, Sting, uh, Dusty Rose, Roddy Piper, Bret Hart, Brian Pillman and the legendary Machu Man, Randy, Randy yeah. Savage, of course. Tell us about some of those um, influences on you um, and, and how they've kind of influenced your career and maybe your character over the years. Definitely. I mean, the thing that, to me, they all have in common is just that colour and charisma, you know? Yeah. Sting is what I think of if you think of a professional wrestler. You know, Bleach Blonde Sting was absolutely my era. You know, Crow Sting, later years Sting, like, to me, that is just absolutely everything. And then... I mentioned earlier about Brian Pillman being such a revolutionary influence to me, and he kind of did that. And one of the reasons I wear tiger print on my gear is as a little nod to Brian Pillman. Ah, very interesting. You know, he had such an influence on me in my early fandom, and it's a little kind of, you know, subtle homage to somebody I looked up. Um, the Red Ringer T-shirt, very much borrowed from Roddy Piper. His talking is what kind of, it took me until my late years to realise Roddy Piper's talking and promo style is what hooked me on a good promo. You know, Dusty Rhodes' promos were amazing. Um, Hogan's promos were incredible. Flair's promos were incredible. But to me, the greatest talker of all time is Roddy Piper because his delivery, his way of being just captivated in every way possible. He had humor. He had intensity. He had uh, quick wit. Everything was just unbelievably good with Piper talking. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I've got to talk about one match in particular. Um, I think you actually brought it to my attention and I saw it back a couple of times yesterday in preparation for our chat today. Uh, but it's a match you had against Cruz, uh, a, a gentleman you mentioned earlier uh, from back in yeah. 2012, and it was a steel cage match. Now, this match is out there um, on, on Sunset yeah. Skips, uh, your Facebook page, possibly on YouTube as well. You've got to go and check it out. Um, but yeah. you're in the match, you're, you're bloodied, you're battered. Uh, but still to this day, one of the, probably one of the hardest contests I would say you've probably had 
And uh, you, you did actually win the match by escaping the cage first to become the new TWA heavyweight champion uh, to cap off a nearly two-year-long storyline that you had going with Cruz back then in 2012. Tell us about that steel cage match because it, it is very memorable for all the right reasons. A hell of a great match. The fans were really into it. Uh, you managed to win the championship. There's you batted and, uh, and blooded, um, but uh, a very memorable match, uh, I've got to say. Absolutely. It's... To me, a steel cage match has always been the ultimate pinnacle of all kind of gimmick matches, specialty matches, whatever you want to say. So when I started wrestling, I thought, you know, I want to have a cage match. That's the one match type I had. And to have it with somebody that I had so much history with, we built it up over two years. And what we were quite proud of, the audience at the time when we first kind of kick-started this, this feud, this storyline, was we'd have 30, 40 people who would watch. Then a couple of months later, we doubled that, 50, 60 doubled it again, kept going. So by, by the time we had this two-year-long feud, we had over 400 people in attendance, and that's not incredibly wow. respectable. And then wow. actually performing in this steel cage, we I remember getting into the ring and the cage being around me and just thinking, wow, this is, this is odd. Because I'd been in a ring God knows how many hundreds of times beforehand, but to be enclosed by this steel cage, there's something deeply intimidating about it in, in a genuine sense because you feel very much like a caged animal and it's it, there's something very very primal about actually being in the cage and I remember pacing back and forth while I was in the cage just thinking this this is it this is this is actually when business is happening you know and it's ordinarily I'm quite jovial backstage but that day I very much just kind of I got dressed very quickly because at the time I was always the last person to get dressed there were times where I'm still pulling on my boots when the music's playing but I was uh, I was there early I was dressed I was ready and I just kind of sat in kind of quiet contemplation i had friends and some of the other guys on the crew come up to me and say you ready you're good and i just kind of nodded yep i got this all good you know very kind of stoic during the uh the, the build-up to the match and then the match itself very very proud of it as you said i won so that's a good thing body cage match so to kind of deliver what we had with it uh you know everything that we'd put into the match paid off absolutely perfectly so it's certainly up there is, I would say, is my proudest moment in uh, my career. That is equal to the first UBW Championship reign. Funny enough, also with Cruz, because at the time he and I were kind of very much synonymous with one another. And many pros talk about cage matches, saying that you know a cage match can take years off of your career. Um, how grueling was that match? Because you did look exhausted and, and, and bloodied and battered mm. after that match. You both went through the ringer uh, in that steel cage match um, back in 2012. But how did it take you long to recover following that steel cage match? Well, at the time, I was uh, kind of so busy that it was, you know, I've had the match on to the next one. I think the four, five, six nights later. So the uh, the recovery time was pretty uh, pretty minimal. So it was kind of on to the next was the uh, the way my body and my, my brain was feeling at the time. But it was certainly something that it resonated with me forever. And it's still still probably having a knock-on effect to some of the things now we did. I know I uh, did a diamond cutter off the top rope and that's, that's probably one of the reasons why my chiropractor loved me. I had six months of seeing the chiropractor constantly. And I think she was, uh, I think she's kind of put her, her children and her her grandkids through uh, college for the next couple of generations <laughs> based on uh, based on my business there. So I think the cage match certainly added to the wear and tear. Unbelievable. And, and once again, if if you haven't had a chance to check out this cage match between um, 
rich and famous. Uh, I'm guessing it would have been at the time and Cruz. Yes. Um, this championship match in the steel cage. Um, like I say, I'll, I'll drop the link in the description to this podcast. So you can just click Absolutely. and watch. Yeah, uh, but please. definitely recommend it. Uh, go, go and check it out as soon as you finish listening to this and watching this interview. But um, I want to take you to some of your more recent opponents now. Um, so, so the likes of Warren Banks, for example, Charles Crowley, CJ yeah. Carter, Damien. We mentioned RJ Singh. We mentioned Hustle Malone. Yeah. And again, Johnny Storm, who doesn't appear to age at all. He's like a vampire. Not he kind of just goes on and on and on. Uh, still Doing looks as good. And unbelievable. Really, really is. But you know, some outstanding opponents there, all very different in-ring styles as well, demonstrating once again yeah. how versatile you are and how versatile you can be as a performer, um, adding, I'm guessing, to your, your longevity as a performer uh, huge and, and your huge respect that you have within the business. So, like I say, your versatility, being able to wrestle different styles and different opponents uh, throughout the years uh, definitely shows off with that list of names I've just read out. Yeah, kind of added to the longevity and kind of that credentials and standard but it is i mean you've got to be able to step into the ring with anybody i mean warren banks at the minute if if you were to kind of draw a star wrestler if it didn't look like warren banks you've kind of gone wrong somewhere yeah, it's phenomenal warren's ready yeah, to kind phenomenal. of i mean he is banging on the door of being the next guy isn't he if you know if we were to have this conversation six months down the line we would be saying he is the guy you know he's just kind of finishing that last kind of proving ground run to prove that he is ready to be the next top guy. Charles Crowley as well. He's he's in that same echelon. You know, he is kind of banging the down. The brand new Wrestle Carnival champion. To prove that he is the, the top guy. He Yes, I saw that he was crowned and I saw he's been announced for WXW, which is a huge, huge thing. And it's, you know, Warren and Charles are, you know, two top guys as concerned. And then stepping in the ring with CJ Carter, who has a mind for the business like very few people I've, I've encountered. He is just phenomenal he is just such an expansive knowledge and understanding of how everything works in the ring there's the old cliche saying a ring general and cj carter's beyond a ring general you know my military rankings are probably a bit uh out of uh out of whack but he's kind of he far outranks a ring general um and we mentioned damien funny enough i listened to your podcast with damien the other day oh. and damien's one of these other incredible performers he's got that great longevity as well because he's got that versatility you know he's dripping with charisma but he can hit as hard as the others and he and i have said to each other you know what you're we kind of enjoy this this is <laughs> this is easy you know putting a match together with damien we could do with our eyes closed and it's we do this we do this cool off we go so it's it's that great having somebody that sort of uh that sort of level of talent but but Johnny Storm, I mean, you you've kind of uh, gone up and down the road with Johnny Storm pretty much throughout your career, um, and you've kind of uh, intertwined your wrestling journeys over the years. And like I say, he doesn't seem to age. He still looks just as good and performs just as well as he ever has. And he's had a legendary that, career. Man. But uh, uh, give us your kind of thoughts on on Johnny Storm and uh, what sort of impact he's had on the UK scene. Would you say? His his impact, like I said, going back to what I said about Jody at the start of the uh, start of the interview, he's one of the best performers British wrestling will ever ever perform. You know, he's you've said it. He's timeless. He has somehow managed to get better with age. And I I say this without kind of a knock on Johnny, but on vast majority of shows, Johnny's only in third gear. If and most people aren't to that standard. You know, when Johnny gets like that top gear, but still at that kind of third gear, there are very very few performers who are in that bracket so that just shows 
how incredibly talented Johnny is in, in all facets of his performance. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. Um, I, I want to take you back to Dubai now because you wrestled from about yeah. 2015 over in Dubai. I think it was uh, DPW, if I'm not mistaken. How did you get involved yeah. with the pro wrestling scene over in Dubai in 2015? What were the circumstances and how did you get actually get involved with uh, whatever scene they had back in 2015? Yeah, I mean, the, the scene in uh, 2015 was very much fledgling um, uh, training-based promotion. Uh, the person that ran and promoted it was a guy by the name of Caleb Hall, who wrestled as Vince the Prince on the Eric Bischoff Matt Rats promotion way back when. Uh, Caleb was then trained by Rip Rogers, moved to Dubai for his uh, day job. And then he kind of built it from there. Uh, funnily enough, I saw that you interviewed Jay Lamrod, and the Wrestling ME promotion was born from the ashes. Of ah, yeah. So uh, with, I think, uh, Savage Sam and a lot of the other uh, Dubai-based performers like Fires, they kind of, uh, you know, there's that Phoenix promotion from the original DPW. But I got in contact with DPW and said, hey, I'm former UK-based wrestler. I'm interested in getting uh, getting involved with you guys. Got talking with them and then I appeared on, I think it's their first anniversary show uh, at HM Fitness Center. Great show, wonderful attendance. And then grew from there and had some wonderful performances and performed in some of the most incredible venues that, that I could imagine. I uh, performed in the World Trade Center in Dubai, which I've recently learned was the first skyscraper in Dubai back in 1990, wow. uh, the early 1990s, I should say, to correct myself. So, and then we performed in Zero Gravity Beach Bar, um, and we had so many other great opportunities kind of come within there. There was so much promise that never quite got fulfilled, but at the time, it was super exciting to be a part of DPW and to have so much going on. Yeah, absolutely. And I've got to ask you, um, as, as a fellow Brit, uh, typically us Brits, we, we don't fare well in hot weather in, in the extreme temperatures. I've got to ask you, how, how did you adapt <laughs> to those temperatures over in Dubai, especially when it comes to maybe performing in that heat? Now, I'm sure some of the venues were very well air conditioned, but I'm, I'm kind of guessing you might have done yeah. one or two outdoor shows. How did you cope with that heat? And, and how did you manage to kind of perform at a high level in that temperature as well? Well, like you said, we'd, uh, we'd generally be in an air-conditioned building. In the vast majority of the time, you go from air-conditioned building, air-conditioned car, air-conditioned building, because it was, especially in like the, uh, the summer months, the heat was unbearable. It was knocking on 50 degrees Celsius, so you know, in human temperatures so that you couldn't do anything. And we, uh, the show that I mentioned that we uh, participated in at Zero Gravity Beach Bar, that was early May, and the temperatures were mid, uh, sorry, low to mid-40s. And uh, I think when I went out for my match, it was 42 degrees outside. And at the time, I'm wearing long tights. I'm wearing a singlet. I was wearing a top. I had a long black entrance jacket. And I remember thinking, I've really messed up here. <laughs> I've made a real, real bad choice with my uh, my uniform pin. So I grabbed a couple of water, uh, bottles of water. We were really well looked after. I remember tweeting out quite a facetious picture at the time saying, it's no working men's club. The backdrop of all these skyscrapers and these fruit platters and cheese platters that they laid on for us backstage. And I remember grabbing a couple of bottles of water and walking past this uh, this swimming pool and thinking, you know what, after the match, I might jump in that. So I just doused myself in water before the match. Of course, the ring canvas is black. Of course, I think the ring ropes were uh, red. So the ring itself was so hot on the day. But uh, it was, I remember post-match uh, thinking, oh, I'm going to jump in the water. And then I like, oh, my gear's brand new. There's bleach in that water. And God knows what else, because uh, this perspex-sided pool was certainly had its fair share of infamous stories that make Sunset Skip seem like a saint. So I thought, no, that's a bad idea, so I'm going to go and get showered and uh, enjoy the rest of my day with the IP. I was, I was playing the role of dad quite a lot by saying to the other wrestlers, here, have some 
rehydration tablets and stuff like that. I kind of had, had those for everybody because, you know, being the kind of uh, experienced guy in the locker room, I thought I'd check off give back sometimes and through a tiny little thing that's not exactly me being some sort of statement giving back but it's just thinking i've got to look out for some of these guys because they've not wrestled as much as i have and they don't know the vigors of it and we're wrestling unbelievable so you've got to kind of look after yourself in that way oh absolutely and if i'm not mistaken you actually received a wwe tryout while you're over in dubai i think it was possibly 2016 uh a fantastic opportunity i'm sure an amazing it, yeah. experience that will live with you through till today T- tell us a bit about that uh opportunity how so. did it arise and how did it go it was <laughs> the way it came about was quite funny so i got a message from caleb who was the promoter saying hey, we've got wwe coming down uh on and what it turned out to be this was the precursor to their great big uh trial that they had at dubai opera house so i went along and thinking and at the time i was thinking oh you know what they're not going to be interested in me i'm slightly older i'm a white guy who's in the middle east and you think well if they're after a bald white guy if they open the door to the performance center and shout bald white guy line up there's going to be thousands of them but I went along to the, well, it's not even went along. I went to where we normally trained. We always built up a nice little crowd because it's in this uh, incredible cal- calisthenics gym. That's a tough word to say at this time of night. This calisthenics gym and uh, people who were there and people who were in Seaman and other executives come along and see what we did. So we ran through some drills, did some match performance, match practice, things like that. And it was it was a great uh, great time to kind of show what I could do. Uh, I got the crowd rallying behind me, this kind of makeshift crowd that appeared because they saw noise and people fighting in a, what is essentially a warehouse in Alcoos. And it was great to do that. And I had the chance to kind of have a brief conversation with Kenyon Seaman. And it was great to kind of exist on that radar for just, you know, a couple of hours that evening. So it was, it was a wonderful opportunity that, in, in all honesty, I never thought I would achieve. So it was great to, to have that. And it's certainly something I look back on with immense pride. Oh, absolutely. A, a real kind of bucket list moment to kind of have the opportunity and to go yeah. through that experience, I'm sure. Um, but, but okay, so obviously while you're over in Dubai, you were seen as a bit of a father figure, looking after a lot of the, the younger wrestlers. But but you've you've got a, um, a bit of a, a past of, of coaching and training of your own, haven't you? Over here in the UK, mm-hmm. um, you, you kind of have been involved in and... Uh, putting a hand in training some uh, pretty big names on the UK scene. Tell us about your kind of time as a, as a coach and as a trainer over here in the UK then, Skip. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with the uh, I mentioned the UBW school that opened in the, uh, I think it was late 2000, mid to late 2011. And over the time, people that have passed through that school include the likes of uh, Stevie Turner in uh, WWE. Um, she came through, you know, she was super talented from the get-go wonderful wonderful performer and i cannot take any credit for her be for her success i it's it that was all her own drive her own motivation so she has done absolutely incredible to do that so i'm not the sort of person to go yep it's, it's all me i'm wonderful no 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 that was that was her from the get-go her passion her dedication is is what's seen her to kind of be so so successful and then we had some other incredible uh performers kind of pass through there in different times jade started there um, I'm trying to think most of the UBW roster, of course, kind of passed through there in various different times. Um, one performer in particular who always stood out, he's kind of uh, long since uh, retired, unfortunately, he was a guy who wrestled under the name of Sween. One of my early kind of uh, 
rivals for the UBW Championship, and he was just such a naturally aggressive performer. He was he was fantastic. So he couldn't remember the names of any wrestling moves. So calling a match with him was some some of a nightmare. He, <laughs> okay, what are we going to do? I don't know. The thing, I just hit me, just hit me. That that was all we would do, and we'd go out there and just beat the tire out of each other, and uh, we'd absolutely kill it. The town would love it. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And we spoke at length about the steel cage match from uh, 2012 earlier on. Um, but but thinking back through your your near 20 year career, um, what, what are some of the other kind of really standout moments that you're kind of really, really proud of um, that will kind of live with you for a very long time? There are loads. It's uh, I mean, I've had to take a better record of matches I've had because I I didn't for a long time. I didn't kind of keep an accurate record of things, but now I'm kind of I'll always keep a poster from the event and I'll write down on the back of uh, the poster like what I've done, what match I've had. But ones which stand out, especially in kind of recent years, there's the Standard SmackDown Championship match where it was myself, Damian, uh, Sydney von, von England, who's now based in the states, and Charles Crowley, and an incredible match that you know we had the audience really, really kind of hook, line, and sinker for it. Um, great, great performers to be in the ring with. I mean, Sydney's killing it in America. Damien's an absolutely incredible performer. Charles Crowley's Charles Crowley. So it's great to kind of have that. The Another match I'm immensely proud of because it's keeping up with some of that talent with the match I had with CJ Carter. You know, CJ is the single most underrated performer in the UK, possibly so talented. He's the sort of guy, if you're, once you've been in the ring with him, you understand just how good he is. The match with RJ recently as well, and then kind of dialing back a few years beyond the long series of matches I had with Cruz, I really, really enjoyed. The uh, matches I had with Mark Massa were incredible as well. It was just kind of, uh, I, I did quite quite a few matches way back in the day, teaming with Johnny Kidd for Premier Promotion. So it's there's so much now I'm kind of thinking back, and I've got immense pride in so many things throughout my career. One match which I really, really wish uh, saw light of day, and nobody has heard this match. Nobody has seen it apart from maybe six workers, uh, and not wrestling workers, but six people who worked in that region. I wrestled a guy from Cameroon named The Wolf. Uh, and this isn't the Sunset Skips Hotel, by the way. This is 100% <laughs> true. We uh, were wrestling at the DPW gym in Alcoos in Dubai. And this guy came in, and he had his own real-life manager. And he said, this is the Cameroonian champion. He's Wolf. And I was very with him because he was a bit, a bit rough around the edges. And Caleb, the promoter, was like, hey, man, do you want to get in and see what he can do? I was like, yeah, absolutely. We got in the ring, and it was magic. It was the only day I didn't bring a camera with me to film stuff. And I only saw him once after that, or once before. I can't quite remember it was a few years I swear, wow. like we got in, and wow. for I think it was around ten to fifteen minutes, just wrestled, and it felt magic. You know, it was hard hitting, snug, safe, all of the things that you'd want from a match. But and everyone just went, "Wow, what was that? Have you guys worked before?" <laughs> no, I never touched, and never did again. And I really, really wish that we had that match. There was only one hairy moment. The only thing I uh, in Cameroonian wrestling, low blow, kind of very. Uh, very allowed and almost encouraged. So I think his uh, regular kind of go-to was downtown, we go, off we go. But uh, after a few kind of pop shots, I was like, no, 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 this is enough. I'm going to fight Dirty back. But it was absolutely incredible, this match. And I wish to this day that I brought my camera. So I think that day I must have gone, oh, I'll leave my camera home, be all right, I won't need it. And 
Oh, yeah, phenomenal. Me for that. phenomenal. My, my for and that. whatever happened to Wolfing? So, whatever happened to the, the, the Cameroonian wolf? Wolf disappeared. Absolutely. He disappeared off the face of the earth. So uh, whatever he's doing. Now, Wolf, actually, <laughs> before he disappeared, we got a message. A couple of us were offered a chance to wrestle in Nigeria. Again, this is a story that I've not actually mentioned on any uh, public platform. So I get a message one day saying, hey, man, do you want to wrestle in Nigeria in the first week of May? yes yes i do tell me when like i was like i'm gonna phone my day job right now and say i can't be at work for this week i'm going to nigeria because listening to the domino and uh luke gallows podcast they did with cabana years back i was like this is what i want to do and i was so excited and it got so close to it happening it was like okay it's gonna be the first week of, like we got this message like february say it's gonna be first week in may you gotta do this you gotta do that they'll provide this they'll provide that yes count me in I was like, I don't care that work are going to put me in so much trouble. I am doing this. And then it all kind of fizzled out closer to the time. And I was absolutely heartbroken because this match, I mean, the build up, I, I, there's stuff that I can't say that happened in the build up because it was just ridiculous. And I think it bordered very much so on the uh, very shady <laughs> side of things, to say the least. But thinking back, this would have been. I mean, this would be one for the book, this experience. So I was really disappointed that never came came to fruition. Oh, absolutely. Can't wait for the Sunset Skip book to come out with all the tall tales and uh, uh, legendary stories. Of... Absolutely. It's going to be fantastic. But um, b- before we let you go, uh, there's two things I want, or what I want you to do for us. First of all, uh, for my listeners and viewers out there, throughout your social media, so where can we uh, find out more about Sunset Skip on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, if you have one uh, and get to learn more about you and your career find me on facebook the twitter machine and the instagram at find sunset skip it's f-i-n-d-s-u-n-s-e-t-s-k-i-p look at that i can spell it this time of day so i'm doing really really well at find sunset skip please drop me a message drop me a follow i love chatting to people about any sort of banal nonsense whether it goes from wrestling to I've, I've kind of fallen into kind of some uh, interesting ideas about aliens and stuff like that to movies to anything else. So I'm open to a chat for anybody. So uh, by all means, hit me up on the social media. And, and, and the second thing I want you to do is a message for your fans out there in uh, Sunset Skip land. Uh, if you have a message for your fans, because uh, you're about to make your return, of course, uh, what would you like to tell them? Well, Skipper Maniacs. On February 12th, Sunset Skip makes his triumphant return into that squared circle. So I want you to clap loud. I want you to cheer hard. And I want you to make sure that you are trying to follow Sunset Skip. You'll always be able to find Sunset Skip because I'm that good looking dude stood right in front of you. So I love you all. You're all beautiful. And I can't wait to see you soon. That's awesome. Sunset Skip, thank you so much for coming on Wrestling uh, Wrestling with Jonas, episode 222. Uh, And uh, hope you enjoy the rest of your day, sir. You too. Thank you so much, John. It's been a pleasure, brother. Take care. You take care. Thank you.